Pretty cool story, isn't it? Um, you know, it's interesting, when I talked to Patrick yesterday and when I watched that story, it really is similar to my life growing up with a single mom. And many of you have heard me say that, you know, my mom, after my dad walked out and my brother died and we moved to Ohio to live near her family, we went to church every Sunday because it was the law in my house. Anybody got that law in their house? Some of you are here today because you didn't want to be, but you had, I had to go. It didn't matter. And I didn't know till high school because we switched churches every year. I was Baptist. I was Methodist, Lutheran, Episcopalian. I, I, I always say I was a bato metho Episcopalian. You know, I did it all. And I found out in high school is because she was trying to find a guy. She got in every singles group at every church trying to find my, uh, her second husband. But here's the thing. I experienced church in every denomination almost. And the difference in my story and Patrick's story is I remember when my mom was in the hospital for almost a month in my sophomore year of high school, no one showed up. I went and lived with my grandma, but no one ever came and brought a Christmas. Nobody did that. I never saw the church, any of the churches I grew up in, ever do anything. I just, I just thought church was a place where people went and they listened to somebody preach and they sang some songs and then they just went back to their life and did nothing and then went back. They never did anything and nobody ever showed up. So it's a defining moment for Patrick because he's like, that's what the church should be. The church is not a building, it's what? It's people, it's a, it's a congregation, it's a co- community of people that don't just love God, but they go out and love others with the love of God, right? And I don't know if you know this, but the song we sang before uh, Patrick's uh, Defining Moment video was a song written by Drew and Ellie Holcomb, and they combined with Johnny Swim to do this song, and Drew and Ellie are Steve Andrews' uh, nephew, Drew, his sister's son, and pretty well known in Nashville, and there's a line in the song that probably irked you, like it did me the first time I heard it. Take your counterfeit to hell. Mike, what is that about? And as you research the song and read the words, you realize ring the bells, ring the bells, ring the bells is their admonition to the church. What they're saying is be the church, be the church, be the church. Don't fake it. Take that to a really bad place. Go be the church, not just go to church, but actually be the church. What Patrick experienced was the church being the church. They showed up when somebody was in need as a small group of women just showed up, and he'll never forget that moment because it was a picture of what God designed the church to be. Again, it's not a building. It's people going with the love of God to love their neighbor and to love anybody that they see a need, they show up as Jesus does in their life. We are, the church is the picture, is the visible example of God. Now, here's the amazing thing. If you talk to people that don't go to church, and I know you do and I do, if you talk to people in your neighborhood, in your workplace, or wherever, that don't go to church, most of the time, I'm, I'm, I, I may be exaggerating, but I'd say three quarters, if not 80% of the time, the reason they don't go to church is not often because they don't like the church. Now, sometimes it's that, but I've found in discussions is often they don't like people that they've gotten to know that are church people. How many people would say that's true, people you know? Anybody? Yeah. A lot of hands are going up because it's like, there's some person or a group of people that have turned them off that are Christ followers that didn't live like Christ followers. And it wasn't the church per se, the institution, it was these people or that person. I'll never forget years ago, uh, walking in the Detroit Lions locker room on a, on a weekday, 
when we had just signed a new player from another team to take a position we really needed. I'm not going to tell you his name because I didn't ask him permission to share his story. So I'll make up a name. His name was George, okay? And George, I'd read about his uh, previous team and what he'd done, and now he's on our team, and we needed this guy. And I, I walk in the locker room that day as the Detroit Lions chaplain just to do what I do, and I'm, I ended up talking to uh, a, a guy that's a part of our ministry named Don. And so Don and I are talking, and this new player walks up. He doesn't know me. He barely knows Don. He's just gotten to know him, but they're going to be close because they uh, do almost a similar part of the thing on the football team. And so Don and I are talking. He introduced me to this guy, George. It's not his real name, but he says, hey, this is George. He doesn't tell George who I am, and we're just having a good time laughing, and I can tell George likes me, and I like George, and even though we don't know each other, but I'm, and I know this, George doesn't know what I do. At this point, he thinks I'm a doctor or a trainer or an equipment guy. He has no idea what I do. And then somewhere in the conversation, Don says, oh, by the way, George, Dave is our team chaplain. And the second he said chaplain, this, this player went like that. I mean, he literally like stepped back. I mean, it was so physically visible. It was like he recoiled when he heard the word chaplain. Well, some of you know me well enough to know that I'm going to address that. <laughs> so I go, George, what was that? He goes, What? I go, when you heard I was the chaplain, you like stepped back. He goes, no, I didn't. And I go, yeah, he did. He goes, no, I didn't. And then Don goes, yeah, he did. <laughs> he go, I go, what was that all about? He goes, oh, nothing. Well, I got to know George over the next several days and weeks, and I found out exactly what I just told you. I said, dude, did you have a bad experience on your other team with the team chaplain? He goes, no, I don't have a bad experience with team chaplain or even church in general, but I've had a bad experience. And he named this guy who was on the team that was an outspoken Christian that didn't live like that. And he goes, that just turns me off, and you represent that. And I thought, that is so often the story. It isn't the church that turns people off, although that does happen as well. It's church people or Christians. Why? Because often we don't do what Patrick saw those women do. We preach love and grace and forgiveness we don't often live that. And so it's really interesting. If we, the church, and if you're not a follower of Christ today, I think you're going to agree with everything I'm, I'm going to say. Because you're going to be like, that is something that would be uh, appealing to me. In fact, I wrote this down yesterday just as a last thought. I thought Christians should be magnets who attract, not repel. Christians should be magnets who attract people to the love of God, not repel people away. And so often, it's not the case. So I'm going to tell you right now, fasten your seatbelts. I'm going to uh, 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 encourage us, hopefully inspire us to be the church, to ring the bells, burn the bells. Like, when we walk out of here, let's go do what God calls us to do. Because it's really interesting. When Jesus was talking to his disciples about what the future would look like and how they would show the world that they're followers of Jesus Christ, you know what he said? It's in, the, it's in the New Testament, the fourth book in the New Testament, a gospel called the, the Gospel of John. And John's writing in a sort of an eyewitness account of, of the things Jesus did. I'm only going to read you two verses today. The whole day is built on two verses, but it's in John chapter 13. And some of you know your Bible, you know the beginning of John 13 is a very pivotal moment in Jesus' life because it's where they're in the upper room and Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Now think about what just happened here. The most important person in the universe just took the lowliest, humblest position of a servant to wash the disciples' feet. By the way, why didn't somebody else wash their feet? Because they were all having an argument about who will be the greatest in the kingdom of God. See how the church functions often? We're often thinking of ourselves as somebody else. And Jesus says at the end of this, as he washes their feet, I did this as an example that you should do likewise. 
You should wash the feet of your neighbor. You should wash the feet of a family member who's far from God that maybe is your enemy. I just gave you an example. And then right after that, he makes this comment that I know a lot of you have heard before, but he says this. He says, a new commandment I give you that you love one another. Now, you've got to put yourself in the disciples' mindset. They're sitting there, <coughs> and, he, and he just said, a new commandment I give you that you love one another. They've got to be like, you know, it's like Peter's going to raise his hand and go, well, that's not new. What do you mean new commandment that you love one another? That's, that's all the way back in the Old Testament. That's always been the commandment of God. So love God and love others. Love God and love others. You want to know the evaluation of your entire life? There, there it is. It's that simple. Do I love God today? Do I love others today? Do I love God and out of that? Did I overflow that love to others? So when Jesus says this is a new commandment, they've got to be thinking there's nothing new about that. But Jesus is using the word new, which means the old is done. It's no longer active the new has been brought here. Like if you get a new phone, don't you look at your other phone and say, that's my old phone? This is my new phone. This replaces that phone. Like if you don't have the iPhone 10, I mean, <laughs> hello, you gotta get it, right? I don't either. Anyway, but it's like when you get a new phone, you replace the old. So when he says a new commandment, he's saying the old, which you knew from the Shema, back in Deuteronomy, love God and love your neighbors yourself, which I now have on my wedding band. It's pretty cool. When we were in Israel, my wife found a jeweler in the old city and he sold me this wedding band that spins, it's really cool, and on it in Hebrew is the Shema, the Lord our God is one. And it's the, it's the whole idea of love God, love others. And then he says this, a new commandment I give you now. Here's what's new. Watch this. That you love another, here's where it's different. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. And by this love, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, some of you Bible scholars out there are looking at that. What's new about what Jesus said? Just as I have loved you. You get it? See, the old commandment was love others as you love yourself, right? Now he says, uh-uh. The new commandment is love others as I have loved you. He's raising the bar to say, I just gave you a visible example of how you love others. You humbly serve them, and whatever their need is, you walk across your backyard to your neighbor, and you wash their feet. Now, literally, don't go over to your neighbor today and say, hey, I want to wash your feet. Can you take your shoes off? You'll freak them out. Don't do that. But walk over to your neighbors this afternoon, and when they have a need in their life, you show up. You bring the Christmas tree to their front door if that's what their need is. Their, their, their son or daughter's in the hospital and you show up. Or something's going on in your life and you show up with a meal. You understand what I'm saying? That's what he's saying. As I have loved you, love one another. It's interesting. I just jotted them out of my notes. That we could spend a whole day. How has Jesus loved you? Unconditionally, sacrificially, unending, pursuing and as I'm writing these down, just off the top of my head, all the things I know about Jesus' love, and we could do this all day, I found myself writing down these words. He, he loves us with an overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love. I'm like, ever heard those words before? Yeah, I tried to get Josh Korn, the first service, to come out and sing that chorus for you. It's a song called Reckless Love. How many know it, right? It's the overwhelming, never. I would do it. I would grab the guitar and do it. You guys know it. I do it all the time. You're like, please, Dave, don't do that again. And I'm not doing it today because I couldn't sing it if I wanted to, even if I had a, a normal voice. But I'd be like, the overwhelming. I'm so deep right now. So I don't want to sing it, and Josh wouldn't come out and sing it, but I want to read you the words of that song. Just a chorus and a bridge, because if you want to know what the love of God looks like, and if you want to know how God has loved you, and out of that love, we're supposed to love others, this captures it 
really well. Corey Asbury, who lives over in Kalamazoo, wrote this song. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. Now, some of you church people know what that reference is, but that's Luke 15, where Jesus says the shepherd leaves the 99 found sheep to find the one. That's reckless. That's like, who would do that? God would do that. He goes on to say, I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Still, you give your love yourself away. That's the gospel. We don't deserve it. Still, he gives it away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Here's the bridge. There's no shadow you won't light up, no mountain you won't climb up coming after me. And by the way, I grew up thinking, yeah, God's coming after me. God's pursuing me, but it's not because he loves me. It's because he wants to judge me. And then I realized God is chasing me like my mom did when I was headed to the street when I was four years old and she's running after me. You see that look on her face like, oh, I'm in big trouble. But she's not getting me because I'm in trouble. She's chasing me to protect me and save me because she knows what's going to happen if I step into that street. God's pursuing you with a reckless, overwhelming love. He says, there's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. If you want to know what the love of God is like, Corey captured it. And we sing that song. And it's like, that's how much God loved me. And then he says, take that love and love others. And so just yesterday, I was like looking at that song, and I've sung that song many, many times. We've sung it here before. And I, 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 I just, you can do this all the time. I do this all the time. Google the story behind Reckless Love. And I, and I didn't know this, but Corey Asbury had been sort of questioned by people about using a negative term like reckless to describe the love of God. And here's what he posted. Listen to this. This is so beautiful. He, Corey says, when I use the phrase the reckless love of God, I'm not saying... Sorry, sorry. I'm not saying that God himself is reckless. I am, however, saying that the way he loves in many regards is quite reckless. What I mean is this. He is utterly unconcerned with the consequences of his actions with regards to his own safety, comfort, and well-being. His love isn't crafty or slick. It's not cunning or shrewd. In fact, all things considered, it's quite childlike, and I might even suggest sometimes downright ridiculous. His love bankrupted heaven for you. His love doesn't consider himself first. His love isn't selfish or self-serving. He doesn't wonder what he'll gain or lose by putting himself out there. He simply gives himself away on the off chance that one of us might look back at him and offer ourselves in return. Oh my gosh, this is the love of God that you and I, many of us, have experienced. I love what he says. He says, his love leaves the 99 to find the one every time. To many practical adults, that's a foolish concept. But what if he loses the 99 in search of that one? What if finding that one lost sheep is and always will be supremely important to God? He says this, his love isn't cautious. No, it's a love that sent his own son to die a gruesome death on a cross. There's no plan B with the love of God. He gives his heart so completely, so preposterously that if we, we if refuse, most would consider it irreparably broken, yet he gives himself away again. The recklessness of his love is seen most clearly in this. It gets him hurt over and over. Make no mistake, our sin pains God's heart, and yet he forgives us 70 times 70. Yet he opens up and allows us in every time. His love saw you when you hated him, when all the logic said they'll reject me. He said, I don't care if it kills me, I'm laying my heart on the line. Oh my gosh. If you've experienced that kind of love, you should be cheering right now. I mean, it's like, oh my gosh. That's the reckless, overwhelming, never, ever ending love of God for you. And here's what happens. 
So often when we are overwhelmed by that, we tend to do this. Oh, it's awesome. That's awesome. I can't believe you love me so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And we should. Right? We should. We should stop and say thank you for the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. But then we should what? Go. Take that to your neighbor. Go. Ring the bells. Be the church. It's like, oh my gosh, I don't want to be a person that just takes that and just soaks it in for me, although that's important and we need to do that. But then as we soak in it, what happens? It fills us up so much. It just goes, 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 goes. It just <laughs> overflows. Jesus said in, in, in John 7, I am the living water that flows out of you. So it flows out of we what? To our neighbor and to our coworker and to our family member, to our, our student, to the Uber driver's driver's like, oh my gosh, I got, I got, I got, I'm so loved. You got to hear about this. And we show up in people's front doors and we show up in their driveways and we show up in their base, basements. And we show up in their hospital rooms. And we show up in the funeral home. We show up everywhere, be in the church, taking the love of God. That would be a magnet. People would show up here in thousands to be what is this that, that compels you to do that? The love of God compels us. Where do you get that? Well, we meet every week and we, we refuel and we equip and we train and then we go be the church. That's what God wants to happen. And so often that never happens. So people are like, I'm not interested in that. is isn't because of the weekend service doesn't draw them. It's like the people that supposedly call themselves Christ followers aren't living that way. And so nothing happens. So here's the deal. Jesus said, a new commandment I give you. Love one another, how? With the reckless, overwhelming, never-ending love of God that you've gotten. Now, take it out. Anywhere you see a need, go. Go. And, and it's interesting. If you're like me, you're like, okay, what would that look like? Boy, you go to First John? You know, I just read you from the Gospel of John. I don't know if you know this, but John wrote four books in the New Testament, and three of them are tucked way back right before the book of Revelation at the end of your New Testament, listen to what he says. He goes, I'll get real practical what this looks like. He says, this is how we know what love is. I'm not even putting this up there for you. I want you to listen to this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We just talked about that, but then what he says, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not live with word, not us, let us not love with words or speech, but in actions and in truth. In other words, don't fake this thing. Throw that out of here. Action, action, action. The church is really good at talking about love. The church is really bad at doing it. And so he's like, Show up. Somebody's got material possessions, show up and help meet that need. Somebody's got a physical condition, show up and be there for them. Pray for them. Pray for God for heal them. Show up and be there. Don't be the church that's not there. So I just thought, okay, I'm going to give you three action steps for you and me uh, personally and for us as a church. And the first one is this. They all start with the letter S. For us to live out the love of God, first thing is I've already said it, show up. Show up. Show up. What's that mean? If somebody's got a need, get there. Show up. Say that with me. I want to hear you yell it out. Show up. Show up. Show up. All right. I know. It, it, whatever. You, you get it, right? It's like I, I said, to, I think I said to Cody this week or, or Ann, I said to one of these guys, I said, my motto for the future of Kensington would be this, Kensington, colon, the church that shows up. Wouldn't that be great if we were known in Detroit? Anytime they heard their name Kensington, they would think, oh, that's that church that anytime there's a tragedy, anytime there's something going on that, you know, uh, that, that, that Christians should be there. They're the church that shows up. 
Wouldn't that be great to be known as that? It's actually that way in Cincinnati. There's a guy named Brian Tome that used to come to Kensington back when he was a teenager and got so inspired by Kensington and God calling him to be a pastor, he started a church called Crossroads in Cincinnati. And if you look at what they're doing today, you would say, well, the student has outlived the pupil. I mean, the students outlived the teacher. He is, their church is one of the fastest growing churches in the world. Christianity Today just did an article on what they're doing. And one of the things I love about Crossroads is they go. I remember when the Houston deal happened with hurricanes, hurricanes and floods, what, about 18 months ago? You know what they did? I thought, we got to do this. I'm telling you right now, I'm, I'm, I'm casting vision for not uh, uh, hearing what Crossroads did. I want to do what Crossroads did. And we do it in a sense, but here's what they did. They started what they called a first responders email database in their church, church of about 30,000 people, with all these campuses. And what it meant was this, when a tragedy happens anywhere locally or nationally or even internationally, we want you, if you want to be on the first responder database, to give us your email and the second it happens, we're going to blast out what we're going to do. And if you can do it, you do it. If you can't, you can't. But you're going to be part of the first responders. So Houston... They sent down teams of teams to Houston as they blasted out this first responder, like, they need us. They need the church to show up. Who's in? And they did, a, I remember I saw, how did I learn about this? Cincinnati Channel 7 News did a story on it. Why? Because when they hear the church doing what the church is supposed to do, non-Christians come running to the church and say, what are you doing? This is what should be happening, right? And so they showed up and they went to their seminar, which was sold out. Nobody could get a seat because so many people were there to learn, how can I get involved and be a first responder? And every time something happens in their city or nationally, boom, a database goes in. Are you guys in? Let's do that. Let's be Kensington, the church that shows up. Now, we sort of have that as well, but it's like, man, what would it look like to live out this love others as Christ has loved us? Because guess who's gonna show up? Jesus. He shows up every time. But guess how he shows up? Through you and me. He's not going to put a billboard in your neighbor's backyard and say, I love you. Here's how he's going to tell your neighbor that they're loved by him. How? 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 Tell me. You show up. You show up. You are the representative ambassador of the living God in the universe. They have no idea that God really loves them. In fact, they think God doesn't love them because they're in sin. And when you show up and say, I love you and God loves you and I'm here for you, what do you need? And you start meeting those needs. That is absolutely showing up. And by the way, this church does that. Globally, think about the things we've done. I texted Don Anderson, our global leader, just uh, right before I came up here. And I said, Don, give me the current statistics on what we've done globally. Put a hospital in India. Put a school in India. Put an orphanage in India. Who did that? You did. You don't realize when you give, like I just gave to God. You gave to God and through that... There's a hospital literally saving thousands of people in India that would not be there if Kensington didn't show up. They showed up, and, and we take trips there. Some of you have been to India. In Africa, Don just told me, through Hope Water, running the marathon in October, hundreds of people, thousands of people have run the marathon or half marathon. Saturday, past Saturday, we had a 5K race. People have ridden bikes. By the way, at the 5K race, Orion won. I don't know if you knew that. We had a competition going for who would run the fastest times. And our Shark Kelly and our Blake Kenny beat everybody. They wouldn't give us the trophy because they said I was out of town. I wasn't there. I'm like, you losers. I, we get the trophy, all right? But we showed up. And we weren't there to just run. We were there to raise money to put wells in Africa. Do you know how many we put in Africa? We've raised over $3 million. 200,000 people in the Pokot tribe in Africa are living with clean water because of the wells we put over 300 in Africa through you. You talk about showing up and showing the love of God. That's it. 
And we've done that locally as well in Pontiac and different areas. I could go on and on. I mean, I don't have time to do it, but we actually are doing it. Do you know that we have a ministry here called Fuel? Well, it's, it's different things, but we take cars that people donate, we fix them up, and we give them to single moms. I don't know if you knew that. What a beautiful, that's what the church should be doing, loving others as Christ has loved us. It's just an amazing way to actually show up. I could go through all these different things. We have a ministry right here in, in, this, in this trailer park behind us, doing what? Showing up, because that's what the church does. They show up. Secondly, they shine down. I know it's not a good way to say it. What I really want to say is shine the light of Jesus in the darkness, but I added the word down because I got up for show up and I got down for this. Shine down means this, the best way to shine, in my opinion, the light of Jesus to your neighbor is down. What's down mean? Down means serve. You don't reach your neighbor by being arrogant and coming. You reach your neighbor by washing their feet. You can't wash somebody's feet unless you go down. And again, I'm not talking literal here, but I'm talking, what do it look like to be a servant of your neighbor? If you want to write the real word, this principle is really serve. Serve your neighbor. Serve your coworker. Wherever God puts you today or tomorrow, here's what I believe. It's not by coincidence you're beside this person. You're in this cubicle at work. You're like, I don't even like the person on the other side of the cubicle. It's not by coincidence God put you as his light beside this person who's in darkness. And you're thinking, I don't even like them. They curse. They look at porn. I don't even like God says, I want you to love them as I have loved you. How do you do that? You can talk all day about the love of God. But when you start serving them, they listen. I, I grabbed a towel because... This is the picture of serving. It's literally what Jesus did when he washed his feet. He put a towel over his arm and he served them. But if you ever go to a really nice restaurant, I don't get to go to those a whole bunch, but when you go to a really nice restaurant, the servant will come to your table like this. Don't you love those restaurants? They come and they got the thing over here and they're like, yeah, baby, serve me because you're here to serve me because I'm paying big dollars and that's what you do. So when you see somebody walking up to you with a towel over their arm like this, you got to love it because you know they're going to serve you. This should be the picture of every Christ follower. Everywhere we go, the people we interact with should feel like we were there to serve and love them with the love of God that God served us with. Do you understand that? What a beautiful, beautiful picture what that looks like is that everywhere we go, we'd make an impact for the kingdom of God. Some of you know, one of my favorite phrases I came up with years ago was this, make a dent where you're... You know me, I got to rhyme stuff. So yeah, it rhymes. It's like that's our, our mission in life, make a dent wherever you're sent. And people all the time ask me whenever I say that, well, how do I know where I'm sent? Am I supposed to pray and God's going to send me somewhere? And I always say the most profound thing you've ever heard me say, how do you know where you're sent? I'll tell you where you're sent. You are sent where you are. Yeah, you guys have listened to this. Some of you remember this, right? You are sent where you are. It's like wherever you are, God has sent you to do what? Make an impact. How do you do that? Show up, shine down or serve. It's funny. I spoke... Ann and I did a marriage conference back in March, I think, or April, in near Seattle. We've done this marriage conference three years in a row out there. We met this, long story, a car dealer, met him on a cruise. He begged us to come speak at his church and do a marriage conference for him. And this guy's literally changing the whole community. He had a radical uh, conversion. His marriage had blown up, separated. 
they both came to Christ, remarried. It's amazing. He's impacting this church in this area. It's just unbelievable. So every year he brings us out there and says, you got to do your rock your family. You got to do vertical marriage. His name's Tim and Kathy. I'm going to bring him here sometime. You got to, you got to meet this couple. And anyway, uh, we were out there this, this last April and he has a warehouse that he owned as a car dealer that he now converted to a men's ministry warehouse. All right. So he does uh, men's uh, small groups every Monday night for 10 weeks, new group guys, they go through all this stuff. So he took me over there. He said, I got to show you something in my, in my warehouse. And we get there and we walk in the lobby and he shows me this picture. This is so funny. He shows me this picture. Make a dent where you're set. Because he's heard me say that on the cruise. And then he has a picture. Uh, this picture is me at the marriage conference. Last year, they made me put a Seattle Seahawks bandana on. And they took a picture. And I said, do not let anybody ever see that picture in Detroit because it looks like I'm a Seahawks fan. I've even got the 12 going for the 12th man. That's their big thing in Seattle. But I thought, isn't it interesting? That's all he's remembered I've ever said. Make a dent where you're sent. Why? Because I want you to remember that too. Wherever God sends you today, which again, if you want to know where that is, it's where you are. It's not going to be some special... Re- it's where you are, in that car, in that neighborhood, in that restaurant, in that dry cleaner. That's where you are. What's God saying? Make a dent. How do I make a dent? Show up shine down, serve someone. It's so simple, and yet it's profound. Monday night, this past week, in our congregation, one of our dear friends who serves at Kensington Kids and serves on our security team lost his wife to cancer. She died Monday night. And one of our guys that knew Ronnie, Ronnie's sitting right over there right now, can't believe you're at church today, which is awesome that you're here today, buddy. One of our guys, Ryan, texted Ronnie. I'm hoping I can get these details right Monday night and said, uh, do you need somebody with you? She's still alive at this point in the hospital. And Ronnie said, I would love it if you'd come. So what'd Ryan do? He went and sat in the hospital with her husband, Ronnie, for a couple hours, and she died that night. That's the church. Show up, serve. Did Ryan do anything? No. Sat there, prayed. Was the very presence of Jesus in Ronnie's life. Can you imagine what that dude's going through right now? His wife died just a few days ago. What does Ronnie need? What you and I need and our neighbors all need. The very presence of Jesus. And how does that happen? Just show up. Just show up with the love of God that you've received. Go love them. That's all you got to do. Show up. Shine down. And I got one last one, and it's very simple. Speak out. What speak out mean? Speak out why you're showing up. Speak out the love of God you've given. Tell them. Tell them about Jesus. Yeah, you do it in a loving way, in a tactful way, but don't be so afraid to tell them the answer that they need and are looking for. Speak out the words. In fact, I'm going to close this with a story uh, that I'll never forget that I heard in college. And as I do, uh, we're going to take the offering. So Yosher's going to come forward, and you can give while I'm uh, finishing up this sermon. But I thought, you know, the offering is, is a moment in our lives as well that's like, it's not about talk anymore, it's about walk. You can go to church and say, I love God all of my life, and you never give back financially. It's just words. The offering's a moment to say, I mean this. 
And it's going to affect everything in my life, including what many people worship, this, a wallet. And thank you, as we even just voted on the budget. It's crazy. The millions of dollars that people give here online, because you say, I'm in. It's not words, it's real. And some of you brand new today, you don't have to give. You're our guest. Meet me at starting point and see if you take the next step, and then you start giving. But I'll close with this. As I, uh, I'll never forget, Ann and I, we weren't married yet. We were engaged. We went to a retreat in college my senior year, and I'll never forget this couple got up and gave their testimony. They were, you know, we're in our early 20s. They were in their early 60s, I think, Omar and Rose Sutherland. Why do I remember their name? Because I'll never forget their story. They got up on stage, and they talked about um, getting married when they're young and having a beautiful marriage and having kids and being very successful in the Chicago area as a businessman, a businesswoman. And then like 10 or 15 years in their marriage, they didn't love each other anymore and had affairs and blew up their marriage and got divorced. I'm sitting there thinking, wow, this is their story. And so they kept going. They said, so Omar said, man, I was chasing everything and alcohol and women and trying to find happiness and joy. And I was completely, completely empty for years after the divorce. He goes, one night I'm sitting in my little tiny apartment all by myself and I turn on the TV late and I'm flipping through channels. And some of you are old enough to remember when he says flipping through channels back then, he wasn't talking about a remote. You had to go up and go click, click, click. How many remember that? Yeah, some of you remember that, like click, click, click. You don't even know how good you have it, next generation. But he'd go up and click on one, no, click on that. And finally, he clicked on one, he goes, I don't know why I stayed on this. But I went back to my seat, and it was a Billy Graham crusade. Now, some of you know the name Billy Graham. He just died this past year, and millions celebrated his life because he was a, an evangelist that went around literally the world and filled stadiums. 80, 90,000, 2 million people in Africa. And he preached one message everywhere he went. Even when he went to Russia, they said, do not share the gospel. And he said, sorry, I can't speak anything else. And he told people about Jesus and his love and his blood and his resurrection. And he asked people to come forward at every stadium and thousands came to Jesus. So guess what Billy was preaching on TV that night? The same thing. And Omar's saying, he's sitting in this thing, and he's watching this, and he goes, I realize that's what I've been looking for my whole life. He goes, all alone in my little apartment, I got on my knees, and I surrendered my life to Jesus. And Omar says, Jesus started to change my life. He started to transform my life. That's what he does. And he goes, over time, I became a new man and uh, a man of God. And he goes, I, I knew God. I, I, wanted to be, I wanted Rose to find out what I found. So he goes back to his former wife and starts talking about Jesus. She's not interested. But guess when she got interested? When she saw it was real in Omar's life, she's like, oh my gosh, this man changed. He wasn't the man he was before. And he kept showing up with the love of God for his former wife. Long story short, she gives her life to Christ. They get remarried. They're now in full-time ministry and are having an impact all over the world for the kingdom of God. I'll never forget this story, but here's what I'll never forget. At the very end, Omar said this. He said, here's the amazing thing. I'm a businessman and I'm literally lost looking for answers. And every day of my life, before I found Christ, I was in business meetings with Christians who never once told me. He goes, I would go play golf with followers of Christ. Never once did any of them speak out the love of God. I had to find Jesus through a TV show when I walked beside Christians every day of my life and nobody spoke out. So church... I challenge you, show up, shine down and serve, 
And when it's right, and when God leads you and nudges you, don't be too afraid. Speak out the name Jesus. Speak out the answer. Because you don't know this, but it's true. They are looking for an answer. They're covering it all up with their life and all their stuff and all their success. But deep down, they're as empty as you and I were before Christ. And they don't know the answer. And you got it. And when you speak out, literally, you could be a life changer and a legacy changer. So here's how we're going to end today. We're going to sing a couple songs. First one is Build My Life. You know what that song is all about? Build my life on the love of God. It's the firm foundation of God. How can you overflow the love of God unless you have the love of God in you? And then we're going to end, and they didn't prepare this this morning. They just did it because I talked so much about the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. We're going to sing that as well. Because it's one, build my life, fill me up, and then help me to take that overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God out to the community to make a difference. So church, go ahead, stand up. Let's sing this thing. Let's sing it strong. Let's sing it loud. And then let's go live it.